0: Welcome to The Daily Standard Podcast, a place for smart, conservative, non-tribal commentary. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, which I would highly recommend. It's March 22nd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Christine Rosen, the managing editor of The Weekly Standard, and Jim Swift, who makes this podcast actually happen. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So we're looking at a trade war, massive omnibus spending bill, a Mark Zuckerberg apology tour. We're gearing up for a Stormy Daniel's 60 Minutes interview, another firestorm about leaks from the White House. And Joe Biden and the president of the United States are threatening to beat each other up. Now, if, if I was a better person, we'd be above all that, right? And we'd start with something that actually affects the fate of the republic. But But I'm not better than that. And so we won't. The this starts with Biden, correct me if I'm wrong on this, He, he he's, he's talking uh, down in Florida and he talks about how he would beat up, uh, he would beat up the president because of his comments about women. And then the president of the United States tweeted out this morning, crazy Joe Biden is trying to act like a tough guy. Actually, he is weak, both mentally and physically. And yet he threatens me for the second time with physical assault. He doesn't know me, but he would go down fast and hard, crying all the way. Don't threaten people, Joe. So, Christine,
1: where are we at here? Uh, It's... Just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's also ironic because weren't both Biden and Trump guys who actively throughout their youth tried to avoid, say, you know, military service? Um, the the claims of toughness seem to be a projection and a, and a kind of overcompensation for their actual, perhaps, physical abilities to beat each other up. It's ridiculous. And I think this kind of macho chest thumping on both of their parts um, is foolish. Um, it, it's I think only... you're, you're right,
0: by the way. I think Jake Tapper tweeted out, you know, two tough guys who have nine deferments between them. <laughs> exactly. Actually, he missed one. It turns out that you got two tough guys with 10 <laughs> Vietnam deferments between them. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and 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 the highest it, IQ it, in law, in his law school class. That's
0: right. <laughs> that's you know, right. was it just last week that we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the president saying, you know... Uh, you know, if he'd been down there at Parkland, he would have. He knows that he would have run toward the sound of the gunfire. I, you know, Chris, I think Christina. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be some some rather aggressive overcompensation here. I Noah Rothman uh, tweeted out this morning that we we, we are we, our country is run by children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, this feels like we are on a sixth grade playground.
1: It does. And we, you know, it's it's. we're talking amongst ourselves uh, here in the office of the Weekly Standard. We all had something of a snow day here in Washington, unusually for the first day of spring. But um, Mike Warren, one of our uh, great writers here, said, you know, my kids were also feeling really kind of anxious and testy after a day locked in for the snow. So maybe we can just explain Trump's uh, behavior that way. Um, But there is really no excuse and no explanation. This is not how the leader of the United States should be acting. Well Ben
0: Sass uh, has been been pretty active lately and, and he tweeted out t- this morning total dysfunction DC is about to add 1.3 trillion dollars to your debt like it's no big deal which is true and meanwhile both of our crazy uncles are fist fighting in the backyard happy thanksgiving <laughs> america um now uh, Ben Sass also w- was very 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 outspoken Let me get this here was very outspoken on um, the president's call to Vladimir Putin to congratulate him. He said "Um, yesterday when the White House refused to speak directly and clearly about this matter, we were weakened as a nation and a tyrant was strengthened. The dodge on Putin broke with the basic American moral tradition. It broke faith with our core values. It broke trust with freedom seekers across the globe. Uh, So let me what is going on with ben sass right now he he is taking he has taken at least three opportunities now to speak out really forcefully about trump on tariffs uh on this issue of the congratulatory call to vladimir putin and obviously about the the crazy uncle so uh why is why is ben sass lit jim swift
2: you know philip hart was a senator from michigan was known as the conscience of the senate and not to be confused with Gary Hart, uh, you know, he's got the, the Hart Senate office <laughs> building named after him. I would say Ben Sass has become the conscience of the not crazy GOP. And, you know, when you look at the folks who are in the Senate and who have capitulated to Trumpism and uh, have, have, I don't know, either deflected avoided or you know not made a big deal out of a lot of the absurdities that we're seeing from this trump white house uh ben sass is is, i think maybe aside from jeff flake only one of two maybe ish tops uh senators who are routinely uh speaking out because i think a lot the rest of them are, are either um afraid of what the president will tweet about them i mean you saw what dean heller uh got um you know a while back i mean he got excoriated kind of in front of his colleagues uh by trump for for not necessarily wanting to go along and uh you know now he's in re-election and he seems he seems to be going along with a lot of things i think he he, he got some Nice little uh, bonus here in the appropriations bill that's coming. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I, I see that Ben Sass has a book coming out this this fall about the div, you know, divisions in American politics. And I guess the question is, is is he positioning himself for a possible 2020 run or are we uh, way out over our skis, Christine?
1: He could be. Uh, there's, there's a lot of chatter among quite a few GOP leaders about who might launch an independent bid. I mean, we hear this... Um, uh, chatter frequently i mean the the institutional and logistical challenges to doing that are are massive um, unless you're a billionaire exactly which he's not. exactly um but he certainly his appeal uh i mean even more than Kasich, i think he would he would be a very appealing independent candidate. But he's also still a Republican. I mean, there's a lot about this question of whether conservatives should still identify as Republicans is something I think all conservatives should be wrestling with and, and perhaps a bit more publicly than they are right now. It's an important thing for people to decide, can we reform a party whose leader is Trump from within? Or is there a need to just give up and walk away and start something new?
0: All right. Let's talk about that that call to Vladimir Putin. Uh, We didn't have a chance to talk about it on the podcast yesterday. But uh, the story is, is that uh, the president's national security advisors told him in all caps, do not congratulate. And of course, uh, the president went out and congratulated Vladimir Putin. And uh, when he was criticized for it, he says, well, look, um, Barack Obama called Vladimir Putin. So what's what is the big deal? So did the president do anything wrong by calling Vladimir Putin, Christine?
1: I don't think he should have congratulated him. Um, And uh, calling him is one thing—a sort of pro forma you know here's a phone call i've placed but you know given his given his uh, potential ties to russia given what's going on right now in the uk with what what is clearly been a russian campaign to assassinate people on one of our allies soil i mean this is not the time to just you know have his jocular i can call and congratulate whoever i want attitude i mean there's such a such a blatant disregard for the complicating factors in our relationship with Russia right now that it's it's just it's astonishing yeah. that he would be so cavalier when called to the carpet about this.
0: And and apparently he didn't even raise the issue of the attack on uh, in, in in Britain. Exactly. Now, exactly. now, this also leaked out. And there have been a number of real time leaks. So this is now created as a, a secondary issue. Uh, and I want to ask you about this, Jim, because I am going to confess uh, that I have mixed feelings about all of this. You know, how outraged should we be about the fact that we know. That that he was handed this paper that says "Do not congratulate." I mean, how 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 serious is the matter? Is is the are these White House leaks that appear to be coming? You know, from from people who don't feel any particular loyalty to the president of the United States?
2: And loyalty is obviously very important in uh, to Trump himself and within his administration. You saw, you know, what what happened with Katie Walsh and Anthony Scaramucci and uh, with Ryan Priebus and all those sorts of tumults about leaks and no leaks and everything. If I had to guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that the uh, "do not congratulate" all caps leak is 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 a CYA face saving thing from people in the uh, intel community and uh, who work in the national security sphere know who the president's advisors are. And I suspect that um, lots of people, and I don't know who it is, but the people in the know probably know exactly who was the one holding the sheet of paper, because it's only a handful of people. You know, it, it was probably not Jared Kushner, and it was probably not Ivanka. Um, and it was probably not Stephen Miller, because that guy's unhinged. But... Uh, People know who that person is and that person wants to have a job and be treated with some of respect uh, after they either get fired or this administration ends or they leave. Um, and so I, I think that 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 is what this leak was about for this specific staffer. And I expect that person probably won't be there much longer.
0: Okay, let's talk about uh, Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica, and I'm guessing that we're going to have a, a violent disagreement about all of this. The no. <laughs> the humbling of Zuckerberg. Now he he comes out on, he's on with this apology tour. Uh, saying, you know, he's really, really sorry for the fact that, I maybe mean, what, 50 million profiles may have uh, gravitated over to Cambridge Analytica and had been used to weaponize the Trump campaign. He's now suggesting that he supports some sort of regulation. He is suggesting that he might, maybe could, might, who knows, uh, testify before Congress. So, Christine, I guess, when we're, uh, you know, take the uh, you know, zoom out a little bit. How bad is this whole story for Facebook? Uh, and, and what do we think about the campaign, the hashtag delete Facebook?
1: Well, it's very bad for Facebook. And actually, as the headlines were rolling out, I felt like someone had read my dream journal. To see Mark Zuckerberg hum- humbled is something I think is long overdue. Um, they There are two, two things to think about here, though. The delete Facebook campaign, I think, is well-intentioned but misguided. Because for a lot of people, look, if you're a small business owner, for example, you rely on Facebook for your business. Um, there are other people who need it for the work that they do. It's really not an option because of its market um, share. It's it's not an option for people to all people to leave Facebook. Um, look, I'm not on Facebook. I never joined it for all of the reasons that people are talking about now. I didn't trust this company with data about me. Um, and as much as I'd like to sit there and feel schadenfreude, I actually just feel like we should continue to elevate our suspicions about Zuckerberg and Facebook. For example, any company that's as powerful as Facebook, kind of humbly or seemingly humbling, humbly putting themselves in front of the federal government and saying, well, we might need regulation. I immediately mistrust the motives there. Um, the other thing though, to remember about the Cambridge Analytica situation is that a lot of what they promised they could do, they actually didn't deliver. I mean, for the Cruz campaign, for example, that hired them, the the so-called special sauce that they claimed they could give the the campaign information about potential voters, they didn't really... Their data wasn't as good as they claimed. So mm-hmm. setting aside the privacy questions and the misuse of of data, we should have a little better perspective about just how... Uh, much they were able to do in terms of manipulating individual voters. But in terms of the humbling of Mark Zuckerberg, I I would love to see some more of it. I mean, this is a guy who is, he's doing an apology tour now, but Last year he was going state to state and kind of meeting the people and laying the groundwork for his own campaign. Yeah, actually
0: I do agree with all of this. This is long overdue. And also you get the sense that you have this pent up anxiety about the loss of privacy that is now sort of breaking into, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the Me Too movement mm-hmm. where you, you have something sets off something much, much bigger that that's been latent for a long time. And, you know, the the invasion of privacy has been going on now for for decades, and I think people have been way too casual and cavalier about it, but also the 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 implications of the incredible concentration of power. Uh, in in platforms like Facebook and Google there there's going it was going to be a reckoning one way or another about all of this and i guess i'm a little concerned that some conservatives are downplaying this w- without fully grasping all of the implications for the way that that what's happening now is different in kind and scope and magnitude than, than some things that have been done in the past. I think the Cambridge Analytica was overhyped. I think they were probably incompetent. But if if we we sort of reverse engineer how the electorate was deranged in so many ways, uh, you know, stories like this, I think, become relevant. And, and, I, and I do think that it's incumbent on conservatives to say, okay, what did happen, you know, in, in 2016? Um, how did these things below the radar screen? I mean, I, I actually agree with some of the critics who say, look, you know, Facebook is being scapegoated for things that that CNN and MSNBC and Fox News did. But don't underestimate the fact that uh, that the way that we communicate and the public opinion is formed has changed radically. So, uh, J- Jim Jim Swift, uh, does does Facebook survive this in its current it's current iteration
2: it's it's going to change I think and they want to be regulated as a utility I think I think, and this is just a theory, because then they get to become a utility. Uh, it makes it harder for upstart competitors to, to enter the space and, and compete because uh, once social media is treated as a regulatable utility, um, you know, it's, it's the same reason why the cigarette companies went along with Barack Obama's tax increase. It it's solidifies their market share, and they're worried, I think. I mean, Facebook stopped being cool, you know, when parents got to join it. I mean, when I joined Facebook, you had to go to one of the top like 300 colleges in the country. Uh, and that's the only way you could get on. And then when people's parents started getting on and grandparents. But now I'm a parent, you know, and I'm still on. And it's something that I've had for, geez, I've had since 2004, I think. I mean, that's 14 years of, of, of Facebook. But about all of this privacy stuff, I am, I mean, if I may throw my bullshit challenge flag of the coach um, not at you or Christine, but about this, oh, it's a loss of privacy. No, you could have been like Christine and chosen not to do it. Mm-hmm. You chose to do it, and of course, you probably didn't read the end user license agreement. And then, furthermore, and I say this whenever, uh, you know, ne- I see on my newsfeed all these these quizzes and these matching sorts of things. You know, which which cast member of Hamilton are you? And <laughs> you know, which Weekly Standard uh, writer are you? I'm kidding. That's not a, a real quiz. It could be. We should uh, make that quiz. Yeah, but when you do that, That'd be good. Yeah. No one knows because you're 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 giving information you're trading information for a stupid little thing on your facebook profile you know that says like oh which sex in the city gubernatorial hopeful are you you know cynthia nixon um but you're trading this information with someone you don't even know and i always get a kick out of i click through and i look and i try and they hide it really well i always like Mm -hmm. peeling back the layers of the onion to find like are they russian are they ukrainian Mm -hmm. where where are they where are these people based and so i will always just make this plea to my friends like don't I I do in a little sanctimonious, preachy way. I said, just remember, you forfeit the right to complain about privacy whenever you just start giving your information willingly to complete strangers who are operating quizzes. And that's what Cambridge Analytica did. Exactly.
0: Yes, that's exactly. Now, the one, one caveat there was, according to this story, that when people took that that quiz you know, on, that, on that app um, and gave the information that went to Cambridge Analytica, they also opened the portals to all of the personal information of all of their friends. So that not only did you give up your own personal information, but if you have 300 buddies, family members, uh, acquaintances, they were able to scrape their personal data. And, and I think that's where you go, Wow, and that's how they scaled this thing up to to fifty million. So yeah, I, I don't have much sympathy with the people who took the quiz on the app, but the people who were just friends with them, uh, they were pretty much collateral
2: damage, weren't they? Well, you got to be careful when you install apps on your on your smartphone because you know you you just kind sure, of yeah. you download them from the Google Play or the or the Apple Store, and it says, oh, do you want to give this app access to your contacts? Why does this uh, app need access to your contacts?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, c- coming up, we want to talk about uh, the massive omnibus bill and the looming trade war and, uh, and and something that I am a little bit obsessed about that I forgot to tell Christine I was going to ask her about, but I am going to ask her about it in just a couple of minutes. Uh, the Daily Standard Podcast is brought to you today by Away Travel. Your luggage should not cost more than your plane ticket. Away Travel's luggage is designed with the highest quality materials for $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com slash standard 20 and use promo code standard 20 during checkout. Now, I actually have one of these suitcases, and it is remarkably cool. It is that hard plastic. Um, it is incredibly well designed. I have one of the, uh, the, the, the the carry-ons, and it's got one of these really, really cool little features where you have a um, a, a battery recharger that is actually inside, you know, in in the – uh, you know, embedded in the suitcase. And you can take that with you so that, you know, if you happen to be on one of those flights where you thought you were going to be able to recharge your phone and you can't, it's there. The interior features a patent pending compression system, which is helpful for overpackers or just sloppy packers like me. Uh, four 360 degree spinner wheels guarantee a smooth ride. There's a TSA approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft which is actually so simple to use that I can actually use it. Um, and it gets actually better than that. There's a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix it and replace it for you for life. And there's also a 100-day trial. Live with it. Travel with it. Instagram it. And if at any point you decide it's not for you, you can return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Again, it gets better. There's free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash standard20 and use promo code standard20 during checkout. One more time. That's awaytravel.com standard20 and use promo code standard20 at checkout for $20 off any uh, suitcase. Now, Christine's sitting there going, hey, what was it he's going he's gonna to ask me? It's a gotcha question. Um, <laughs> Well, um, last night, um, and I I, I tweeted this out, I I went to a birthday party, 21st birthday party for a lovely young woman named Gracie Jagler, uh, who is uh, who uh, has Down syndrome. But despite Mm -hmm. that, is a very successful entrepreneur, runs a little company that makes, uh, you know, freeze fried dog treats that my dogs think of as as crack and it was one of those moments, you know, where where you think, and I know that you've written extensively about about eugenics, mm. this debate that we're having in this country about, uh, yeah, you know, women should be able to abort children, uh, you know, who have Down syndrome, and the percentages, and George Will wrote about this, the percentages of women who are choosing abortions for, uh, for people who have these genetic defects is really extraordinary. And I thought about it. um, I thought about your writing also. Have you seen this Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Underground Railroad? No, I haven't. It's 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 you know, it's 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 got it's on Oprah's book club and Barack Obama has written about how fantastic it is. I don't want to give a spoiler alert to it too much, but there's a moment in the book where I go, wow, they're really dealing with that, where they actually talk about the eugenics movement and the birth control movement Mm -hmm. aimed at uh, black Americans, um, and, and, and really equating it with, with, with slavery. But you, you do get, it's interesting to me, I guess, that of all of the movements of the 20th century that one would have thought had been discredited, this one is still out there, isn't it? I mean, there's still that, that sense that, you know, that, that if in fact you get rid of people who are, don't have, you know, are not contributing a positive way to the gene pool, that that's okay.
1: Well, I think the the conceit that we that as a culture we tell ourselves now is that it's not really eugenics; it's just individual people making individual choices. Because the problem with eugenics, we tell ourselves, was that the state was imposing it on others, and that's wrong. So we got rid of that. So we're not any longer forcibly sterilizing um, so-called feeble-minded people. The problem, of course, is that in the aggregate, many many individuals are making this choice to eliminate so-called differences. And this at a time, I want to add that if you especially look at Down syndrome, the lifespan and the quality of life of people who are born with Down syndrome, the lifespan is more than doubled. The quality of life has increased. We're learning more every day about how people live healthy, fulfilling lives with this condition. And the fact that we're you know when when a mother goes in especially a mother of a certain age goes in she has to actively fight a an obstetrician's uh, recommendation to be screened for these conditions and and they there there've been several interesting scholarly studies of this pressure that women are put under when they're pregnant to have screening and then if the screening turns up down syndrome to have an abortion and you know if we look at Iceland that's the future right they are mm-hmm. they are celebrating the fact that they've eliminated an entire group of people. And I think um, it's kind of the excessive individualism of our rhetoric about choice, not just about abortion, but about all things. this sort of on-demand consumer society that celebrates hyper-individualistic choice is going to lead, in some cases, and we've seen this with Down syndrome, to people choosing things that maybe as a society we don't want to see chosen. We don't want to see the elimination of people because they're considered a so-called burden on society. We have been there before historically. The rhetoric's changed. These are individual choices, consumer choices versus state mandated ones. But the ethical challenge is the same.
0: And, and that's why pieces like Ruth Marcus, and I'm not trying to beat up on her uh, because I kind of like her, but that's why you know pieces like hers you know, have real consequences because it establishes a social norm and social pressure mm-hmm. uh, to, to really el- eliminate... A class of people that that, frankly, we ought to. You would you would think that in a in a in a culture that is constantly expanding the circles of the you know of of, of humanity and and of our compassion, that we would be embracing these uh, these young these young folks, but we are we are not. Um, so I, 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 I this this seems like a bad transition now going from from this issue to the the omnibus bill and. I have to admit that that I know how completely irrelevant I am because um, I'm, I'm depressed and outraged by the process, uh, Jim, which we we now are legislating. It feels like remember that old uh, National Lampoon cover where they they had the dog. And the gun up to the head of the dog, saying, "Buy this magazine or the dog dies." It, it feels like that's our politics. You know that you must vote for this bill, otherwise the government will shut down. And so the bills are crafted in absolute secret. There are no hearings. There are no debates. We hard we barely know what's what's in them. It's a two thousand two hundred and thirty-two page bill, one point three trillion dollars. So just here, here's my question for you, Jim. Democrats got 52 billion dollars for domestic spending. Um, the Republicans got 78 billion dollar increase in defense sp- spending. If Hillary Clinton was the president of the United States with this with this Congress, would this budget have been substantially different? I, I guess maybe those numbers would be flipped, but would it be fundamentally different than what we're seeing right now? Hard to say. I, I you know when
2: Congress is divided and it's not divided technically uh, right now. I mean, Republicans do control both chambers. But when when there's a split uh, House-Senate um, control, uh, deficit spending tends to go up and the deficit tends to increase. You can argue that, you know, with the Freedom Caucus and the kind of fractures within the Republican Caucus, that we're, we're not really a cohesive, good governing majority. And a, a lot of times uh, they have to rely on Democrats. I mean, in the Senate with the filibuster, you still do have to rely on Democrats, uh, as is tradition mm-hmm. and as we should. But Um, You know, with the Freedom Caucus of, uh, you know, which is so um, thorny and loves, you know, needling leadership and taking it to the swamp, uh, which many of whom will probably go along with this. Some, you know, some won't. I mean, the the Justin Amashes of the world will, you know. You know, plant their principled no flag, and the, they got inside. they got
0: completely rolled on this, didn't they?
2: Yeah, well, they 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 have been because the the Republicans will just work with Democrats because they need the you know, we need to be able to function. But would they have shut down the government uh, during a Hillary Clinton administration if we were going to add you know this much in deficit spending? Who knows
0: that that's that's a good question now this is one thing and i know people think that this is you know swampy insider stuff but but when a group like the freedom caucus essentially announces we're not going to vote for any of these spending bills what they do is they take themselves off the table and they force uh, the republican leadership in the house then to rely on democratic votes so the result of the hard line we are purer than pure conservative freedom caucus is to empower the democrats and move the budget numbers to the left is that essentially right jim
2: yeah i think so i mean it, it's it is not a good negotiating tactic to admit it it's there's there's an old saying you know don't in the senate don't take hostages that you're not prepared to shoot um you know the freedom caucus just kind of is coming up and you know lining up the uh, you know the the i don't know what you would call it the um, the death penalty, uh, riflemen, and just they're they're shooting their hostages before before uh, before anything anything happens, and it's just sort of like, well, now you don't have any hostages.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of good stuff in the, in this build. I don't get me wrong about this. I mean, the the military spending, I think, is 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 positive, but it, you know, I, I think it really underlines how completely irrelevant fiscal conservatism has become in the era of Trump, but also how incredibly irrelevant. President Trump's own budget proposal was. Remember all the coverage about all the cuts that were going in? It looks like Congress essentially ignored almost everything. Okay, we're running out of time here. So, Jim, uh, very briefly, the pre- this is something I know you feel passionately about. Uh, the president appears uh, uh, intent on stoking up uh, the trade war uh, with China. He's going to come out with some number, like 50 to $60 billion in trade tariffs aimed at uh, China. Uh, So far, the markets have been shrugging it off. So far, the Fed has been shrugging it off. Your reaction to the president's obsession with tariffs and what he's about to do? Tariffs
2: not only impose immense economic costs, but they also fail to achieve their primary policy aims and foster political dysfunction along the way, which you may have seen on the awesome new T-shirt that I
0: have. Um, That is on a T-shirt. Literally, he has a (laughs) T-shirt. Jim Swift has this T-shirt. He just read his own T-shirt. And it's it, you know, what it's what's amazing is first of all is it all cotton shirt is it is it, does it feel good Yeah, is it, it really is. Well?
2: Uh, Scott Lincecum um, is did, who's on Twitter. He's a trade policy expert for Cato, and he he's selling these to raise money for the found, Foundation on Economic Education. And so of course I had to buy one. It's from Honduras, uh, you know, which we actually have a trade surplus. Free trade. With, um, but it's a it's, it's a very comfortable shirt. Um, well,
0: and also, I mean that that sentence basically sums up the case against protectionism yes. pretty well. It, so you get a T-shirt, and then you basically get your, you know, a, a a pretty succinct analysis of why tariffs suck.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's unfortunate, Mike. Everyone should go read Michael Warren's. Um, Piece on Peter Navarro, who's the president's kind of crackpot, far left, democratic, um, anti-trade advisor. Since uh, all the globalists have been, you know, run been sent out to the hills, uh, but you know this is going to be here on Thursday. We're expecting that the president will announce um, trade uh, tariffs against uh, certain uh, Chinese products and. We're, you know, we're, we're 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 going to start a trade war, and a lot of other people are are going to hurt um, uh, as a result of it.
0: Hey, by the way, um, David Clark, former sheriff David Clark has actually put out a tweet. I don't know we've seen this. Uh, he he wanted to get into the the back and forth between the crazy uncles Donald Trump and and Joe Biden. So David Clark, who we're not quite sure what he does in his day job anymore. Um, wrote all in caps, Joe Biden. Um, I've been in a lot of the locker rooms in my life. Really, Joe, please tell us why and what you are doing, hanging around all those locker rooms, Joe, taking in the sights. Did the soap keep falling out of your hands, Joe? Huh? Tell us, Joe. Hashtag MAGA. So, David, you know, count on David Clark to take this to a whole new level—a homophobic tweet at Joe Biden. Which I thought was somewhat ironic, since uh, I don't know if I'm David Clark and I dress like a member of the Village People, would I be going in this particular direction? <laughs> is that really a good idea?
2: He's single. He's <laughs> single now, single, ready to mingle. Single and ready sure to. He's
1: on Tinder. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, with that, with, with his cowboy hat and showing off his guns and his his many many pins, his pieces of flair. Yeah, flare.
0: his flair. It's the it's it is the flair. Really hey, the thanks world. for joining me. I appreciate it, Christine. Uh, Christine Rosen and uh, I appreciate uh, the I threw something at you that I didn't tell you I was going to throw at no you problem. Uh, and, and, and Jim Swift and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast we'll be back we'll do this all over again tomorrow